Good morning. Welcome to the Lord's house. Will you stand with us if you're able? Let's sing together. Sing wherever I go. <laughs> Sing wherever I go We truly believe that this morning. Amen? God is good. It's not just based off of things that He does. It's His nature. It's who He is, and we rejoice in that. Amen? Amen. It's so good to see you guys. Thank you so much for being here this morning at Cavanaugh Church. God gave us a beautiful day to come into His presence and to worship and grow with one another, and I hope that you are ready and are in uh, I hope you're ready and you are encouraged by today's ending because it is truly going to be an amazing service. We've been praying for you all week, and we know that God is going to do something really special today. If you're a first-time guest, thank you so much for being here today with us. We love our church, we love our people, and we are glad that you're here with us. Uh, we want to get to know you and your family, so if you could, in the chair back in front of you, there's a little connect card. If you could fill that out, um, and, and right after service, take it out these back doors. We have some people back there that would love to tell you about a church, what's going on, and there's a lot going on. Brother Will has a massive list that he's going to... Uh, 
you know, give to you at the end of service is like 18 different announcements, so be ready. Uh, there's so much going on, I'm going to let him do that. Uh, but we want to let you know all about what's going on in our church, especially with Easter coming up. We've got a lot in store here. So we want to make sure that you're involved and ready to go and in the know. All right? Love you guys. I know spring break's been happening the last couple of weeks, but again, we're glad that you're here and you've made it back. I'm going to ask you all to stand. We're going to ask God's anointing on our service today. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. Thank you so much for bringing us back into this place, God. We love our church, and again, we know um, of your power and, and uh, what can happen here. We've seen you do it, and we know that you're going to do it again. So, Lord, speak directly into our hearts. And, Lord, I'm so thankful for the time that you've had with our pastor this week, God. I know that the message that he has is awesome, and I am so ready for, uh, to hear it again and for our church people to hear it, God, because what you have for us today is something truly special. Lord, you want us to, uh, leave, you want us to leave here encouraged to be able to preach the gospel, to share of your love, and to tell everyone about it, God, whether it be our family, our friends, our co-workers, God, instill in us the passion to reach people for you, God. Encourage us, motivate us through the love of your Son. Thank you again so much for all that you've done in first service, and we are excited for what you're about to do here now in this one. In your name, amen. Greet those around you, and we'll get started in just a couple seconds.
our set today is Honey in the Rock. And um, it's really just a song about God's provision. And in the Old Testament, God even has the name Jehovah Jireh. We don't say that a lot, but that just means the Lord will provide. The Lord is our provider. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. He says, which of you, if your son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who will ask him? In the bridge of this song, it's my favorite part. It says, I keep looking, I keep finding. You keep giving, you keep providing. I have all that I need, and it declares you are all that I need. Then it says, I keep praying, and you keep moving. I keep praising, and God, you just keep proving that I have all that I need, you are all that I need. Um, I just love, I love that. And so this morning, if you are here today and you have a need, call out to Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. He is enough. There's honey in the rock, water in the stones, and I'm on the ground, no matter where I go.
today, Father, to the God who can meet all the needs that we are unable to meet. We praise you in this place today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Amen. Amen. Isn't that great? Give them a big hand. Boy, I love that song. Man, I love that song. Good to see you today. Welcome to the second service. We've already had one. It was great. But you know what? I just, I kind of got it. I don't know. This may be better, Stacy. I don't know. It may be. Well, that's entirely up to you, isn't it? Hey, let me ask you a question. How many of you, when you were growing up, just a kid, how many of you had a nickname? Raise your hand if you had a nickname when you were growing up. Okay, cool, cool. How many of you still have the same nickname that you had when you were a kid? Really? Some of you, that's pretty cool. How many of you didn't have a nickname, you don't have a nickname now, but you've always wanted a nickname? <laughs> Ain't nobody's going to answer that one. Well, we'll come up with one for you before it's over. When I was a kid, my nickname was Willie Bill. Say Willie Bill on three, one, two, three. Willie Bill. I always wanted to be Willie White Shoes Harmon because as a football player, I had white shoes and was really fast, but nobody ever called me that. Now that I'm an adult and an old man, I have another nickname. It is Holy Smoke. That's what I'm known as in the cowboy world. You know, we love to give nicknames to people, don't we? And, and sometimes that's the way we know folks. In fact, if I said today, Honest Abe, who would I be talking about? Exactly, Abraham Lincoln, you know. If, if we talk about the baseball world and you were to say the babe or the bambino, who would we be talking about? Babe, his real name was George Ruth. If, if we're talking about basketball and you say Air Jordan, I know you're going to be talking about Michael Jordan. If we go to the entertainment world and I say the Duke, all right, John Wayne, yeah. And if you're my age or older, there was another cowboy western out back in those days that had two guys in it that were brothers, Little Joe and Hoss. They were the Cartwright brothers. Exactly. Man, you, you understand that. Sometimes nicknames fit, other times they don't. Back in the glory days of Monday Night Football, we had two announcers, Dandy Don Meredith, love that guy, and then humble Howard Cosell. One name fit, the other one didn't. In the Bible, names were often used in the same way. That is, a name was often given to a person to reveal his personality or his character or even his destiny. For example, the name Abraham means father of multitudes. 
When we say Jacob, we're talking about a deceiver. Peter means the rock. Thomas was a doubter and John Mark was a quitter. Now, I'm thinking this morning of a man in the Bible who was named for his spiritual gift. And if you're thinking of him, don't say it out loud, but do you know who I'm talking about? Let me give you a little hint if you're struggling with it. His real name was Joseph. He was a Levite from the island of Cyprus. He he was an early convert to the Christian faith, and he was good friends with the Apostle Paul. Are you picking up who he is? If not, let let Dr. Luke introduce him to you in Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. That was his nickname. His nickname was Barnabas, which means, say it with me, son of encouragement. He sold a field that he owned, brought the money, and put it at the apostles' feet. So Joseph was his given name. His nickname was Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was named for his spiritual gift because it perfectly reflected not only his personality, but his character. Now, we're going to get back to Barnabas, the son of encouragement, in a moment. But for right now, let me look at that spiritual gift. Romans chapter 12, we looked at last week. I'm I'm in a series on spiritual gifts. And last week, we actually looked at one of the spiritual gifts, which is mercy, giving mercy. And some of you have that gift. It's listed here in Romans chapter 12. Here's how it begins in verse number six. We have different gifts, and we all do, according to the grace that is given to each one of us. So when you were saved, when you invited Jesus into your heart, God started pouring gifts into your life. The first gift is the gift of forgiveness. He forgave all of your sins, wiped your slate clean, is not holding any of those former transgressions against you any longer. Wow, what a great gift to be forgiven of your past. Also, he gives the gift of eternal life. He gives you the gift of his Holy Spirit. And in turn, the Holy Spirit gives you a spiritual gift. Everyone who is saved has at least one spiritual gift. And in Romans chapter 12, Paul gives us about seven of those 20 spiritual gifts. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each one of us. And in verse 8, it says, if your gift is to encourage, then give encouragement. So encouragement is a spiritual gift. And if you have the ability to give encouragement, then you are encouraged to encourage, all right? Now, the Greek word here is very interesting. It's parakaleo. Now, I had Greek in college, Greek in seminary. I'm not a good Greek student. And my Greek professors always kind of just rolled their eyes when I spoke Greek because I had a West Texas flair to my Greek, all right? Parakaleo, all right? Para is a preposition meaning alongside of, and kaleo is a verb meaning to call. So parakaleo literally means to call alongside of. It it has the idea of coming to the aid or the assistance of someone else. And in particular, it implies an ability to help someone in an area where he cannot or she cannot help themselves. Now, when I was in seminary, our, 
our professor drew a word picture for us to describe parakaleo. He said, here's what parakaleo looks like. Imagine a, a traveler weary walking down a dirt road and they are carrying a heavy load. In fact, the load is so heavy on their shoulders that their shoulders are drooped over. And it's so heavy, their knees are wobbling and their feet are just barely shuffling. And as you look at that traveler going down the dirt road, you get the inclination, they ain't gonna make it. They're gonna stumble under the load, they're gonna fall under the load, they're about to collapse, they might even have a heart attack. And you are moved to the point that you run alongside of them, you come alongside of them, and lift part of the load off of their shoulders and put it on your shoulders. You also put your arm around their neck and say, it's okay, my brother, I'm here to help. And you help them out. You walk along the road together. That is parakaleo. It's coming alongside another person to help them out in their moment of need. And the person that does that is called a paraclete. Say it with me on three, one, two, three. Paraclete, like, here's the way I remember it, like a pair of cleats. They laughed first service when I said that. A paraclete, look at your neighbor and say, you paraclete. It almost sounds mean, doesn't it? But it's not meant to be mean, it's something good. It's, it's coming alongside of someone and encouraging them and helping them out. There are two places in the New Testament where all of us as Christians are commanded to be paracletes. We are commanded to give encouragement to one another. The first place is 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And then in Hebrews 3.13, but encourage one another daily. This is the work of load lifting. And all of us are called to do it when we see the need and we have the opportunity. But the spiritual gift is somebody who has this innately inside of them. The Holy Spirit has gifted you to be an encourager, it's something that you feel, something that you're moved to do, something that you just do naturally. So if I were to give a definition for this paraclete, this encourager, it would go something like this. It is the special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ, which enables them to come alongside another person to give encouragement, to challenge, to counsel, to give earnest advice as needed in such a way that that person is helped. And I think that is key to the definition. You are coming alongside of someone and encouraging them so that they are helped. They are aided in what they are struggling with. If they are discouraged, they become encouraged. I think that is a key sign of this gift. When a person with the gift of encouragement spends time with you, you inevitably feel better. Now, here are a few other marks of these gifted load lifters called encouragers. Number one, they genuinely like other people. 
honestly. They don't see you as a number or even a name. They see you as a living creation of God, and they love you because you are you. They just love people, and you know it. It's not fake. You can tell when somebody's faking. Number two, they are strongly relational. They, they believe in relationships and building deep relationships. They root for the underdog. They're open-minded and very forgiving. They are quick to respond to your human needs. They are quick to give the benefit of the doubt. Thank God for that. And they are usually well-liked by other people. And why wouldn't they be? Because when you spend time with a true encourager, someone who has this gift, your life is enriched. This really is a how-to gift. People who have this gift are hands-on. They're, they're practical. They don't like to waste a lot of time sitting around a table talking about theory or even doctrinal issues. They want to go out and encourage people who are down. It's also a counseling gift. People who have this gift will sit down with you and talk for five minutes or five hours. As long as you're willing to talk and unload your burden on them, they are willing to listen and help you with your problems. It's also called the cheerleading gift. People who have it love to shout encouragement to those who are out there on the field. They may be sitting on the bench not really participating in the game, but they love to encourage you. They say, you can do it. Come on, man, we're behind you all the way. Don't quit, rah, rah, ree. I, don't, I really don't know any cheers. I think the next part of that goes, kick him in the knee. I'm not a good cheerleader, but I married one. Man, man I really did. I got lucky in that, didn't I? But you know what? That's what encouragers are. They're cheerleaders. Thank God. Come on. Thank God for men and women who encourage the rest of us. We did this last week with Mercy Givers. I think it'd be a good time to stop right now and applaud all the encouragers that are in this room. What a sad and miserable world it would be without encouragers. They light the way and they lift us up when we fall down. Many of us, many of you in this room, those listening online, a lot of you would have quit a long time ago had it not been for someone who has this gift of encouragement that came alongside of you and encouraged you to keep going on. Now, in the Bible, There's a lot of examples of encouragers, but there is none better than this guy named Barnabas. In fact, Freddie, I think he is exhibit A in the gift of encouraging. The biggest part of his story is told in the book of Acts, and we actually have seven different stories of Barnabas giving encouragement. I can't go through all seven of them this morning, but I picked out one for our purpose today that proved him to be a true son of encouragement. And so today we're just gonna focus on this one example. There are seven, but we're just gonna talk about one. Are you ready? And you know what, it doesn't even start, this story doesn't even start about Barnabas. Because that's that's kind of the way encouragers are. They're, They're behind the scenes, but when time comes for them to appear, they're there. 
The story is about a guy named Saul of Tarshish. Let me begin reading in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Now, maybe you know this, Saul. Later on, when he was changed, his name became Paul. But he was Saul of Tarshish. He was a a Jew. He was of the, the sect of the Pharisees. And look at me, look at me. He hated Christians. He despised, listen to this phrase, the way, W-A-Y. That's what early Christians were known as, the way, the followers of Jesus. And he despised them. He became a one-man wrecking crew. He would go to people's homes and literally drag them out of their homes and make sure they were put in prison. He saw many of them being killed because of their faith in Jesus, and he applauded. In fact, all of this began when they stoned Stephen to death. Saul, a young man, stood there and held the coats of those who stoned Stephen. And that day in his heart, a hatred began for Christians. And he was doing this all over Jerusalem. The next verse goes on to say, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, a neighboring town, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, the early name for Christianity, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly this light from heaven flashed all around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and go into Damascus and you will be told what you must do. Now guys, look at me. This is one of the most amazing conversion stories in all of history. It truly is amazing. In the beginning, Saul is bent on murdering the followers of Jesus, but by the end of the story, he is the greatest Christian missionary the world has ever seen. First, he wanted to kill the Christians, then he became one of the Christians, and then his former friends wanted to kill him. And it all happened on the Damascus Road. Here he was traveling to Damascus. He had papers in his hip pocket so that he could arrest the Christians in Damascus. And as he was traveling, all of a sudden this bright light flashed and it knocked him to his knees. The other travelers who were there, they saw the light, but they couldn't see the Lord. Yet they heard the voice of the Lord speaking to him. He was blinded by the light. Eric, there's an assignment. Take it. Take the words of that and put them to a Christian song, right? And he fell on his knees. He couldn't see to walk to Damascus, so those with him helped him. And he went to a certain house in Damascus. Now, the Lord, the Lord started working on a Christian's heart and life in Damascus, a guy named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to Ananias as he was praying and said, Ananias, I want you to go to a street called Straight, and you're going to find a guy there named Saul of Tarshish. I want you to go and pray for him. And by the way, I have already been communicating with Saul through prayer, telling him that I'm talking to you, and he's going to be waiting for you, Ananias. 
Now, Ananias is no big dummy. He had heard about Saul of Tarsus. He knew that he had come to Damascus to persecute Christians. And so he said to the Lord, Lord, you got to be kidding. Why would I go help him? Why would I go pray for him? And I love the Lord's response to Ananias. God said, Saul is my chosen vessel. I have handpicked him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. You don't worry about what he's done in the past. You just obey me and go talk to him. That's pretty cool. And so Saul had been in Damascus three days. He had been blind for three days. Ananias shows up at that house, prays for him. And all of a sudden, the Bible says, from his eyes fell something like scales. Scales fell off of his eyes and he was able to see. They prayed together, they talked together, and Ananias must have done a pretty good job because verse 20 tells us, at once he, Saul, began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Boldly he went out telling people about Jesus. Now, not surprisingly, his former colleagues, the Jews, were astonished, then they were baffled, then they were angered, and then they were enraged. How in the world dare Saul switch sides? How dare him change teams? And after several days went by, the Jews set out to kill him. Saul learned of their diabolical plot, and here's what verse 23 says. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers, the Christians he had formerly sworn to kill, took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. And he escaped. He left Damascus and went back to Jerusalem. Now, the last time he was in Jerusalem, he was on a rampage through the city, dragging believers out of their home and throwing them in prison. Now he returns a follower of the same way that he tried to destroy. There's only one catch. The Christians in Jerusalem don't know anything about his conversion. They had not been told about this Damascus Road experience to them Saul is still public enemy number one. They remembered what he did, and they had been praying that he would never, ever come back. But he does. And verse 26 tells us what happened. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a true disciple. And who could blame them? I mean, honestly, who in the world could blame them? After all, what better way to destroy the church than to fake a conversion, infiltrate their ranks, gain the trust of the leadership, and then put them all in jail? And let me tell you, it's exactly the kind of twisted plan that Saul would have dreamed up. So they don't want anything to do with this so-called convert. He had a reputation. Saul had a dirty past. Not long ago, he had been trying to kill them. Now he claims to be converted, one of them. The Christians in Jerusalem smelled a rat. They would just as soon he be deconverted and leave them alone. But precisely at this moment, guess who steps on the scene? Barnabas. 
the son of encouragement. When the chips are down, when things are falling apart, guess who God sends your way? An encourager. I love verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Thank God for Barnabas. But you know what? It was a risky step that Barnabas just took. After all, what if Barnabas was wrong about Saul? If he's wrong, you know what? Hundreds of innocent Christians in Jerusalem are about to perish. In fact, you've got to ask yourself, did Barnabas know how Saul is going to turn out at the end of this story? No. Did he have any idea that someday 13 books of the New Testament would be written by this man? No. Did he know that this same guy is going to preach the gospel from Jerusalem all the way to Rome? No. For that matter, he was totally 100% unsure of Paul's conversion. He, he didn't know if he was faking it or not. But you know what? He had a hunch. He had a conviction based on solid evidence. And here's what all encouragers do. They act on what they believe is true. You see, the early church looked at Saul, and they saw a problem. Barnabas looked at Saul and saw incredible potential. The early church looked at him and saw his past. Barnabas looked at him and saw his future. The early church saw what he had been. Barnabas could only see what he could be. That's what encouragers do. I know y'all are laid back in the second service. You don't like to do stuff like that. But let's give encouragers another big hand. Would you do that? Here's what encouragers do. They see the potential. They look into the future. They focus on what people might become given enough time and the power and work of the Holy Spirit in their life. You can see in Barnabas several of the characteristics of an encourager we looked at earlier. He was quick to respond to human need. He was quick to give Saul the benefit of the doubt. He was quick to spot spiritual potential. And most importantly, when nobody else would take a stand and speak up for Saul, Barnabas did, even when the early church wanted nothing to do with him. Thank God for Barnabas. Had it not been for Barnabas, honestly, had it not been for Barnabas, we might not have half of our New Testament. Do you realize what he accomplished? Even though Barnabas never wrote a single verse of Scripture, he was responsible for having over half the New Testament written. What am I talking about? Well, the two people he influenced most was Saul of Tarsus, who later became the Apostle Paul, and a young man by the name of John Mark. Did you know that the Apostle Paul wrote 13 books in our New Testament and John Mark wrote that gospel that bears his own name? That's 14 books out of 27. And perhaps they would not have been written had it not been for the son of encouragement who came alongside both of these men when they were in desperate need of encouragement. That's not bad. 
for a guy named Barnabas. Wow. How we need his kind today. People who could encourage the unlovely, the unloved, and the outcast. You know what he was? He was the apostle of the second chance. We could use a whole lot more of those guys because all of us in this room, listen to me, all of us, we all need a second chance. And we all need somebody to come alongside of us and give us a second chance and encourage us. I think two key qualities shine out from his life like beacons piercing through the darkness of midnight. Number one, he insisted on believing the best about people. He didn't listen to all the naysayers. He wasn't listening to what everybody else was saying about Saul and how bad he was and a one-man wrecking crew and we don't need to accept him. He didn't listen to any of that. He believed in the man. Secondly, he never held a person's past against him. That kind of sounds like God, doesn't it? When we come and ask for forgiveness. I think think his slogan was, no man needs stay the way he is. Think about that. A while back I ran across his statement. I think it's pretty true. If you treat a man as he is, he will stay just as he is. But if you treat him as if he were what he ought to become or what he could be, he will become that bigger and better man. That strikes me as an entirely true statement. People tend to become what we think about them and what we say to them. They either live up to our expectations or they live down to them. If you treat a man or a woman as trustworthy, they will strive to prove themselves true to you. If you treat a man like a friend, you know what? He's going to become a friend. If you say to a child, you can do it. I know you can. You got it in you. Pretty soon they're going to start believing that and they're going to live it. Men, look at me. Guys, ladies, you can close your ears, but men, look at me. If you look at the woman that you're married to and from your heart say to her, you are the most wonderful woman in the world. And you keep saying that to her. You know what she's going to become? The most wonderful woman in the world. I think the converse is also true. If, if you say to someone, if you treat a friend as if he were an enemy, then you know what? Before long, that's exactly what he's going to be. So let me repeat this. People tend to become what we think them to be. Encouragers know that. They know they have the power to either push someone further down the ladder than they are or to reach down and pull them up. And that's what they do. They come alongside. They encourage. They build up. I want to close by mentioning the most encouraging fact I can about the ministry of encouragement, and it's this. The more you encourage others, the more you're going to be encouraged. The more you give, the more you'll receive. By helping others, you're going to help yourself. By strengthening others, you are strengthened. By lifting up somebody else's load, your load becomes lighter.
Encourage is not something that perishes through using it. No, it increases through using it. Thank God for encouragers. And, you know, here's the, here's the thing about it. Sometimes I think if you have a gift, you're the last person who realizes you have that gift. So if you know encouragers in this church, I would encourage you to go to them and just put your hand on their shoulder and say, I want to thank you for being an encourager. They need to be recognized. They need to know they have this gift so that they can keep on encouraging other people. I asked you this earlier, I want to close with this. How, how many of you have ever had a real encourager in your life? Somebody who's had that gift of encouragement and just at the right time, God sent them to come alongside of you and encourage you. I've had many such people, but the, the beacon that stands out, the one that to me is the ace example is a guy named Joe Grizzle. Joe was my pastor when I went to Hillsdale. He pastored the Norman First Free Will Baptist Church. It's called Cross Point now. Brother Joe is a true encourager. I mean, you're just around the guy, and he exudes encouragement. Whenever you leave his presence, you walk away feeling better about yourself and better about life. It's just his gift. And when I first met Brother Joe, he and I just, I don't know, there was a bond, there was a connection, and, and I was able to spend a whole lot of time with him when, when I was a student at Hillsdale. He, he really taught me the practical aspects of ministry. He took, me, he took me skiing, water skiing, with his family. He had this big cobalt boat, and he taught me how to water ski, man. I mean, how cool is that? He called me Willie. And he truly loved me. He, in fact, he married Angie and I. He officiated our, our wedding. Has been a true mentor to me through the years. I graduated uh, from Hillsdale in 1983, the summer of 1983. Here's, here's how crazy it was. It was a crazy week. We, we graduated on one day. Angie and I, she, she with her degree, me with my degree. The next day we got married right there in Oklahoma City. And then the next day we moved to Enid, Oklahoma to take a youth pastor job. Did all that in three days. It was practical. I learned that from my dad. I mean, we're going to be there for graduation. Why not just go ahead and get married and then move on to Enid the next day? Can, can I tell you, sometimes practicality is not the way to go. And Angie, I want to just say publicly, I'm sorry we didn't go to Corning, your hometown, to get married. I truly apologize for that. And I want to go say, and say this, too. I am so sorry I didn't take you on a honeymoon. I mean, we were broke, okay? <laughs> I took her to Enid. We went to Enid to be the youth pastor of the First Free Will Baptist Church. Buddy Drake was pastor. I'd, I'd been going up there through that senior year, filling in as youth pastor. He called me. In. And, and honestly, the reason I did is because that's what you did when you were a preacher back in those days, Jason. I mean, you, you first became a youth pastor, and then you became a pastor. Nothing, nothing bad about youth pastoring, that's just, but that's the way you did it back then. And can I tell you, I was a horrible youth pastor. 
I didn't like those kids. And I couldn't stand their parents. Eh? <laughs> I really wasn't good at it, honestly. But I mean, that's just the way it was. That's what you did. Thank God we don't do that anymore. Okay, but that's the way it was done back then. So I was youth pastor. I stayed there for a year as youth pastor, and things started kind of falling apart. I was, I was, I was horrible, man. I really was. And then the summer of 1984, all of a sudden, bang, 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 I started having all these phone calls. I mean, here's my options. I could stay there in Enid and continue to be youth pastor. Things were going well in the church, but I was bad, and actually we were living below the poverty level. I was making less money in my profession of being a ministry person in church with a degree than I was making my senior year in high school. We, you know what we were doing? Living on love. <laughs> but I mean, I could stay there and keep going. They made big promises. I had a phone call from a preacher in Arkansas. In fact, he, he was in Fort Smith, and he offered me the position of coming to his church and being the youth pastor there. And I mean, it's an incredible church. Great position. You talk about a raise. I was going to get a massive raise. Did I mention the church was in Fort Smith? It started with a C. The name of the church started with a C. And then I had a couple little churches in Oklahoma call and ask if I would become the pastor. It was in July of 1984, Angie and I went to the national convention, and, and I actually sat down with some of those people and talked to them. I sat down with Carl Cheshire and Bob Butler from the Kavanaugh Church, and man, they made a beautiful presentation, and I'm thinking, dude, man, how I would love to go to Kavanaugh and be the youth pastor there, and wow, can't believe how much, baby, we would actually have real food to eat. <laughs> and and as, the other option I had was to go to Fort Worth, Texas and go to seminary. Now, if, if we were living in poverty in Enid, we were really going to be low in Fort Worth, going to seminary. And, and, and listen to me. I am not a good student. I don't like to study. And that's what it's all about. You've got to study all the time. So I'm thinking, man, I, I know I probably need to go do that, but man, I don't want to go do that. And who did I run into the last day of the national? We ran into him together, didn't we? His brother Joe Grizzle. And, and, I, and I think he could kind of tell something was wrong. He said, Willie, what's going on? What's wrong with you, man? I said, well, brother Joe, I've got all these decisions in front of me, and I don't, I don't know which one to take. I don't, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know which direction to go. Stay a youth pastor, go pastor a small church, become a student at Southwestern Seminary. And, and here's what brother Joe did. Dallas, he put his hand on my shoulder and he looked me square in the eye. And he said, Willie, God made you to preach. I don't know that I ever had anybody say that to me that way, but God, God made you, Willie, to preach. That's why he made you. He put that inside of you. And you need to go preach. He said, there's, there's nothing wrong with being a youth pastor, but God didn't make you a youth pastor. 
He made you to preach. And yeah, you could go pastor one of these little churches in Oklahoma, but if you really want to catapult your ministry and be all God made you to be, you need to take the hard road and go to seminary. God made you to preach. Go preach. You know, all of a sudden, that heavy load I was carrying, Kyle, it was just lifted off my shoulders. And I felt this peace that passes all understanding. Why? Because an encourager came alongside of me. Somebody who genuinely loved me and cared about me and could see inside of me what God was doing in my heart. And what did he do? He lifted me up and encouraged me. Now, some of you came into this room today and you're carrying a heavy load. When I saw you walk through the door and you're like that guy, you know, maybe not physically, but you're there. You're, you're carrying a heavy load. You're about to collapse. You're about to call it quits. You're about to throw in the towel. Today, what I want to offer you is the absolute best encouragement you could ever receive. I'm, I'm going to bypass those who are gifted with encouragement. I'm going to have you come this morning to the greatest encourager there is, the giver of the gift, Jesus. And friend, if you will bring your burden to the altar, Jesus is going to lift that burden. He's going to lighten the load, and he is going to change your life. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? You may be here this morning and you've never received his gift of eternal life. You've never repented of your sins. I'm going to invite you to come to the altar. We'll, we'll help you pray through this. We'll help you accept Jesus as your Savior. Receive the gift of forgiveness, eternal life, the Holy Spirit, and you'll get a spiritual gift today. I invite you to come. For the rest of you who are carrying just a heavy load, maybe it's because of a relationship you're in, because of a job you have, because of a health issue that you've been carrying, you're, just, you're carrying a heavy load. I invite you to come and unload that burden at the feet of Jesus. Maybe you are an encourager. Can I encourage you to encourage somebody else today? Maybe you need to go to someone and say, hey, let me pray with you. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I, I pray that you would have your will and your way in our lives. I pray that healing would take place at the altars today. I pray that Jesus would be lifted up so that you can draw people to yourself. For those who need encouragement, I pray that they would come and receive it today. Help us to realize, Lord, there's honey at the rock. And all we have to do is come and taste it, and we'll never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand up. They're going to sing. Step out. Come and pray. God wants to do something in your life right now. Come. Come to Jesus.
you, dear Lord, for giving us exactly what we need. Honey and the rock, thank you for the manna you give us through Jesus and his forgiveness. Thank you for the water that you pour in our life and forgiveness. Pray, dear Lord, for everyone in this room and all those who are listening online. I pray that today we be encouraged. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who gives us that encouragement. And I thank you for those special followers of Jesus, the load lifters, the sons of encouragement who are in this church. May they continue their ministry to cheerlead and encourage the rest of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. You can be seated just for a moment. Uh, Nathan has given me a bad rap, but there are a bunch of announcements. Let me, let me hurry and go through the list, but pay attention, all right? When you walk out the door, make sure you drop your offering in one of those black boxes. We've been doing C groups now for the past five weeks. This is week six. It is the last week for C groups, so make sure that you go to your group this week. We're going to take a little break uh, through Easter, and then after Easter, we're going to come back for a very short session of C groups, and we're going to do some hands-on ministry at the end of April, the beginning of May. I'll tell you more about that as we get closer to it. Come this Wednesday night, Brother Jason's going to be preaching in here to the adults. Of course, we have teen ministry, merge ministry for college age, kids ministry. But Wednesday night, I'm also going to be teaching the Connect class. You say, what is Connect class? Well, if you are not a member of Kavanaugh, but you're interested in learning more about our church so that you could possibly be a member, you need to come to Connect class, all right? I, I talk about who we are as a church, what we believe, and how you can get involved. And we're going to start that on Wednesday night. I'm going to be up in room 209, 210. It's in our educational building. There will be signs directing you. We're going to have some snacks. Somebody help me with that, all right? Don't let me forget snacks. And, and I want to be sharing with you about who we are as a church. So again, if you're the least bit interested in knowing more about Kavanaugh Church, Wednesday night, room 209, 210. Also, we're taking pictures this week and next week for our new directory. So even if you're not a member of our church, but you want to be in our directory, you can do that. We've got these information cards on the chairs. Pick one up, fill it out, go out there and have your picture made as soon as we finish. You can do that this week or next week. Also in your chair, you've got one of these little invite cards. It's for our big Easter services coming up. Take the card, use it to invite a friend, family member, neighbor, co-worker to come to our church. On the back side, it's about our egg hunt. Brother Johnny's going to have a big Easter egg hunt for all the kids. It's a community-wide thing. It's going to be all over our property on the Saturday before Easter. In fact, this Thursday at 9 o'clock, he's going to have an egg stuffing party. We've got about, oh, I don't know, 10,000, 20,000 50,000 eggs to stuff with candy. And, and here's the deal Brother Johnny makes for those who come. After you stuff 200 eggs, you get one piece of candy to eat, right? <laughs> I don't know, something like that, right? Hey, next Sunday is a big day. Uh, we've been talking about spiritual gifts, trying to help you discover your gift. And it's for the purpose of helping the church out. That's why spiritual gifts are given so that you can help edify the church. So next Sunday in our lobby area, we're gonna have all these tables set up 
with the ministries of Kavanaugh Church displayed. So you can walk through, it's a ministry fair, you can walk through, look at all the ministries we have at Kavanaugh Church, talk to people who are actually doing the ministry, and you can sign up to get involved in one of those ministries. That's next Sunday. One last thing, women. Ladies who are going to the Branson trip, Miss Gail needs to meet with you Wednesday night right after church. You can come up to the front after the service. She just needs to talk to you, give you the specific rules, regulations, and guidelines. My only one is don't get thrown in jail in Branson while you're up there. I thought that would be funny, but apparently it, it is true. <laughs> hey, I hope you have a great day. God bless you. Be encouraged. <laughs>